Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Ed Up Explained, which is part of the Ed Up Experience podcast network. Uh, Ed Up Experience is the leading higher education podcast in the nation, and I am honored to bring you Ed Up Explained, which digs behind critical topics and uh, we ask questions and seek deeper meaning. We're all about critical thinking here and a little bit of fun. Thank you so much. If you would like to sponsor this show, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Ashanti Martin. Just send me a DM and we can discuss. Today, I have a great interview and really chit chat with Janelle Benjamin, who is the founder and chief equity officer of All Things Equitable. If you are a part of the LinkedIn fam, then you should be familiar with Janelle. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ed Up Explain. I am so excited. I have been waiting for a while to meet and have a great conversation with Janelle Benjamin. She is the founder and the chief equity officer of All Things Equitable, which addresses uh, systemic change and, and the experience of all marginalized groups in the workplace. So Janelle, welcome. So happy to see you. Thank you, Ashanti. It's been my pleasure to be here and I've been looking forward to meeting you for a very long time. Yes, yes. And we did have a conversation beforehand. So we will get right into business and then we'll talk about all things 4C hair later because maybe I might do podcasts on that about here's not, we're not just talking about natural hair. We're talking about the 4C hair. So that's a whole other thing. Anyway, tell me about all things equitable. Um, when it started and how it's going. So I started this uh, shortly after um, we saw Amy Cooper um, challenge Christian Cooper's um, whereabouts in the Central Park. Um, It was all like guns blazing after that. And I officially launched in September of 2020. So right after, you know, the George Floyd, Amy Cooper incidences, um, I went full speed ahead to Say, okay, I've got to I've got to use my platform and my voice to, to get into this space and of course my background and skills and diversity, equity, and inclusion to address things um, and change things in the workplace because I just that just irked me and it was like enough. And so it's going really, really well. Um, from September till now, um, business has picked up tremendously. I've got a lot of clients um, that I'm doing some work for to um, again address different things in a systemic way. Um, particularly for, um, you know, issues of anti-racism, anti-Black racism, and and, um, things that are happening for accessibility communities, um, you name it, I'm I'm tackling it. And it's going really, really well. I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm doing it. That is so interesting that you say that about Amy Cooper being Mm -hmm. the the thing to light a match under this, um, under your, your work, your work as a consultant, because I too, I remember that week. Um, and I'll never forget that week, but I think it was May 25th, the day that George Floyd was murdered and May 26th, when that video came out, I remember thinking, oh, um, another black man has been murdered by the police. I honestly, over the last several years, have just grown so numb to that, that I thought 
nothing's going to happen just like nothing happened, you know, with the last, you know, several incidents, but Amy Cooper, man, I was so mad. And it was that week. I was so mad. I was so angry. And then I saw all these people hitting the streets and I was just like, oh, George Floyd's death really is, um, you know, is different this time, you know, cause I wasn't expecting it to be, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like Amy Cooper was like a, a match, you know, like a little, like the fire was already, already blazing. And yeah. then when you see this woman so entitled, <laughs> so, you know, just fits the picture of like what the danger, you know, white women, the danger that they pose to black men in this mm-hmm. society and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the history of that. It just really, I think it, it, um, it, it, because Janelle, I'm sorry, Janelle, Amy Cooper, I remember seeing a meme. It said the behavior of Amy Cooper could have well ended up, could have led to the death of another black man at the hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think she should have been charged with attempted murder personally. She I, did I literally know. say, I will tell the police that I am being attacked by an African-American man. There is mm-hmm. no reason that she would have invoked those words in that way yeah. if she wasn't threatening his physical well-being and his liberty. And that Absolutely. was to me like, that was really just made me mad that week. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I think when I ask a lot of people these questions, um, you know, we all say, and I have as well, that um, you know, after the death of George Floyd, things changed and I decided I was gonna do something different, but it really was for me in a lot of ways, that incident. So um, it, was, it was her for me, it was her Karening. Being a Karen in that park in that moment, it was just like enough. Treating that dog, the way she was treating that dog, I was just like, you know, you went to all this trouble to adopt and foster this dog, and now this is how you're gonna do it because you feel threatened. It was, it was, I didn't like it. So, um, one of the things that I did want to talk to you about, uh, I wanted to talk to you about diversity in organizations. Because mm-hmm. um, you know your work is you you deal with organizational um, dynamics and things like that, and you recently wrote an article about chief diversity offers officers. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to go through real quick uh, something that you wrote in here. Okay. Okay. You have two innovative solutions that companies can take to show their commitment to diversity and inclusion and make workplaces safer for racialized employees, even without a chief diversity offer hire. Then, so you have one of them is questioner Karen's, uh, Mm -hmm. Amy Cooper, peak Karen, um, and end the practice of terminating racialized employees at will and without cause. Uh, that's a really interesting one. And I think either of those tips can be their own episodes independently. So I want to talk to you about chief diversity offer hires. When, um, when is a chief diversity offer needed and when is it not? I think organizations internally should always have someone leading the charge for diversity and inclusion. It's great when it's the CEO. So I don't mean to disparage anybody who's who's in those roles. Um, I think they're vital. I think they're really, really important. I think 
um, I've written pieces that suggest, you know, at some sometimes organizations do need external advice, and I think they need it when they're not sure about the neutrality or impartiality of the person that is the in the chief diversity officer role. I think they have to recognize these leaders that their CDOs are not um, they're not at liberty because they're employees of the corporation to give you the truth in a way that a consultant can. So. I have another article that talks about, you know, when you need a consultant and why a consultant might actually be a better choice. Um, it's, it really just comes down to the objectivity and the neutrality and ability for the CDO to actually call things out, say things, you know, that they're seeing and being empowered to do so, right? Um, too many are, are just not empowered. Too many don't have budgets. Too many don't have supportive teams to deliver on the mandate. And so, you know, their roles are just they're token hires and they fall mm -hmm. flat. But if they're empowered and they're, you know, their voices are respected and they are, you know, given a, a healthy budget and um, great human resources, then they can absolutely be successful, but they have to be set up for success. And then they still may need outside independent advice from time to time, depending on what it is, what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, because again, the person in inside the organization just can't always give it to you the way that you need to hear it. Mm. So for, for um, department heads or mm -hmm. um, executives, you know, because I say department heads, because I know that in organizations, you know, even if you have a CEO, I worked in higher education, which is very siloed. So you have people in departments and schools and units all with their own, um, you know, power to their own budgets and their own um, imperatives from above to do something about diversity. What's the mm -hmm. best way for a department head to find um, a, a DEI consultant in the absence of a chief diversity officer and what should they be looking for? Definitely. For me, it's, referrals are always great, right? So talk to your colleagues, talk to your peers in similar sized organizations who are doing similar work and see who, who are they using, right? Um, they should ultimately be looking for people who you know, have the right mindset. So the justice-oriented justice mindset is critical, um, but they can't also be, they have to be open and they have to be truth tellers and they can't just be you know, those who are looking to get paid in, in one way or another, right? So assess your consultants' motivations. Why are they even consulting? That would be critical, making sure that they're not in it for the money and that they're in it because they actually care about equity and they care about justice and they care about human rights. Um, of course, look at their, you know, their background and their qualifications. What have they done? Um, what are their skills? What are their attributes um, professionally as well as personally to, to actually be able to do the work? Um, and then you need, of course, empathy and you need people who are charismatic and can lead people and truly motivate them to achieve what it is that you're trying to achieve. And, and again, they have to be truth tellers. I mean, that's just critical because if you can't have somebody telling you the truth or you're not willing to hear the truth and you don't have a truth teller at your core, then they're just taking your money and they're not doing you any, any um, service or justice. So they're doing you a disservice. So I think that's really important. Yeah. I'll just say some people will pay you to um, tell them lies and make them feel nice. That's all I'll say about that. Absolutely. Tell me about 
since you have been um, the head of all things equitable, what has been something that you just, you know, a win for you, something that you viewed as just a success from start to finish? Because I know in your first year of anything, there's going to be challenges, but what was really, um, what are you just really proud of and happy about? Oh, I think I'm really the most happy and proud of the fact that I'm, I'm even an entrepreneur in this space, you know, like that I've set things up in such a way that, you know, not only am I providing great service, but I'm actually providing a great customer experience at the same time. Like that was really important for me because I felt I was scrambling, right? It's like you launch and you're ready to deliver services and you, you know, you know your craft so I can deliver that, but I wasn't really paying attention to, you know, the business end of things and how to actually provide amazing service. And so that was a learning curve. And I'm realizing like in the process of me scrambling, what are my clients feeling and just learning that um, and making adjustments. So I think I'm most proud of the fact that, you know, I've taken some, some, some learnings of my own are taking some time to like really set things up in such a way that I'm feeling a lot better. I'm feeling more of the professional that I want to communicate to my clients and that they are actually going to not only get um, great products and, you know, service, but they're going to get a great experience along the way. So I can relate to that. Trust me. I mean, I'm a writer. So when you say business, I'm just like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. I just want to live in my world with my thoughts and write about them or talk right. about them. Um, and so I am saving up now. One of my goals as a, an independent person is to hire a virtual assistant. When I learned about virtual assistants, I was like, I want one. I need one. I need one for my life. But um, so if there are any virtual assistants out there listening, or, you know, any um, I, I'm saving up. It's a life goal, a vacation and a virtual assistant, and then I'll be set. Yes. Um, my next move, actually, I'm, I'm actually going to be doing some hiring pretty soon. So that's making me a little bit excited as well that I can learn to delegate, learn to, you know, take on a little bit more of the, the core of the work and, and delegate some of the administrative responsibilities to someone else. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. So tell me how it feels to like be your own boss, because I think a lot of people are are experiencing that for the first time, right? So what, how does it feel for you? And what are some things that you've learned? I think it feels a lot more natural than I thought. And I've, and it, I've learned that, you know, it's not this big, scary thing to be an entrepreneur and to be out there on your own. It feels scary when you're employed or you're used to being employed, right? And we're socialized to just, you know, go to school, get a job, go to school, get a job, not go to school, create a job. And so when you actually have a creative idea and you just you hang out your shingle and you do it, it's really, really scary and unnerving. But I'm learning that anyone can do this if they've got, you know, some sort of creative idea and, and a gift to give to the world, which I believe we all do. Um, and I think, uh, you know, what was your second question? What was my the best experience? What, what did you ask me? I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't remember stuff. <laughs> I it off. Um, um, it was just, you know, what, what, how does it make you uh, feel? What have you learned from oh, being, learned? you know, so, so what, what have you learned from being your own boss? I have learned 
so many things, but I've learned more than anything that I can rely on myself. I've learned, you know, to trust God, who I believe in um, wholeheartedly that, you know, he really will sustain you and, and keep you so that, you know, the fears that I had previously are totally gone. I've learned to, yeah, put the fears to the side and it's like the Nike slogan, just do it. Um, mm-hmm. There's really something to that, to just moving full force. If you've got an idea, you know, move full force toward it. Um, so many of us, we have these ideas and I've had ideas to start my own thing for so many years, but we have these little doubts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily believe in ourselves all the way. And we see other people doing it and you think it's, oh, that's so brave and that's so courageous and I could never do it, but you absolutely can. And it feels really, really good um, to, you know, be making the decisions. Like I've always been a decision maker, even as I work for somebody, mm-hmm. um, but it, it does make it, it does feel good to not have to report to someone else, to be answering questions to someone else, to, you know, set my own timelines, my own schedule. Um, I've learned that I'm, I'm actually, you know, I've always been a workaholic and I'm very, very disciplined, even working from home right now. Um, so I've learned that, you know, you can do anything, even through a pandemic, even on unemployment, you know, I, I'm not earning a salary. And mm-hmm. um, if I can do this, anybody can. It, it's it is so true. Um, all of that resonates with me, especially to having ideas. Cause I have an idea for a new podcast. I don't know. This is, um, this is an exclusive. I didn't even know I was going to talk about this, but one of the things that you and I have in common and have, um, you know, connected through on LinkedIn is our love of nineties hip hop. So I, uh, I'm actually considering starting a podcast focused on nineties hip hop. My goal is to, um, co-host it with, with Liz Liba. Um, but, uh, I know that you would be a guest. So I guess my question is, would you be a guest on my nineties hip hop podcast? And who is your favorite? Let's stick with the woman, the women. Who's your favorite woman rapper of all time? Wow, everyone's always like who's your top five and it's all the men I'm like I don't really even like any of them who's your favorite woman wow that is a tough question um I would have to say oh man that's a tough question I know right <laughs> <laughs> because it's like a toss-up almost I really I really like um Heather B yes you know, you'll forget yes. Heather B in the game all blocks down um, I really, oh, wow. really I'm going to play that. I'm going to play that as soon as we're done. Um, long live the ruggedest female Heather B. Um, I love, of course, Queen Latifah and MC light. Um, yes. I think, you know, light as a rock and ladies first and you and I T Y and, you know, I got to give props to those two, but I mean, there's so many greats, right? Like from yo-yo and yo-yo yes I was thinking of yo-yo when I said Shante yes oh you know what and that's you know because I I love hip-hop so much and one of the things that I have loved about meeting you is that I would sometimes be sitting in meetings like at work and somebody would say some something and uh I, I would be reciting like lyrics in my head you know, and I want to, I would sometimes make a reference, drop a reference to see if anyone got it. And like, not a lot of people did, you know, but the ones who knew, knew. So communicating with you and like using that as a reference has been very like refreshing to me. Cause this is something that I 
you know, hold personally a lot of their, you know, just the people that you mentioned, you know, the, the things that uh, MC Light and Queen Latifah were rapping about, I mean, to me as a woman in the 90s, a young girl, um, mm-hmm. always stayed with me. So, so I, I really appreciate that about the two of us. I appreciate that too. I really love it. It's like a little joy in my day, you know, when I'm working hard and we're really siloed and everybody is right now because of the pandemic, but we're even more siloed when you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're consulting and you're working from home by yourself. So I do love just seeing your posts and, you know, finding those little references in there. And I'm like, this is awesome. Cause at least I know that there's somebody else out there that gets me, you know, we can be professionals, but we can be like ourselves, which is, you know, loving, girls from you know I'm from Scarborough in Toronto you know the east east side of Toronto um and it means something right when you say that I'm sure you say that you know you're from Philly or a certain part of Philly I'm from Yonkers Yonkers New York let's just not get it twisted for anyone who doesn't know you probably already know because it means something when you tell people you know where you're from and you know hip-hop for me is so so much a part of who I am um it, you know, it frames so much of my thinking. And so when you drop one of those references, it's like, I, I totally get it. Even in a professional setting, it has relevance. I'm the girl who's driving to work when I, when I had a job and was going to work with the hip hop blasting. And when I'm, you know, when I'm angry, it's Annie up. And when I'm, you know, whatever yeah. I'm going through, hip hop is right there. So I appreciate you. I appreciate Liz Liba. And I'm looking forward to being part of your, your new podcast. I can't wait. I better be your first guest. <laughs> well, listen, sometimes I say things, sometimes they happen, but this is something I do want to happen. So, um, you know, one day uh, when the time is right, because the beautiful thing about focusing on 90s hip hop is that there's no, there's no time um, constraint because we're going way back into history. Mm-hmm. digging in those crates so I I appreciate that because when I do those posts like I don't even do it intentionally you know I truly do think in hip-hop lyrics a lot of the time right. you know exactly and it's just it. that is your frame of reference and it has provided so so many amazing um ways to convey things in like you know just a few words so so okay. I know that you are a very um busy uh, I was going to say solopreneur, but apparently you're, you're hiring, you know, you're delegating and, and being a boss. So is there anything that you would like to say before we um, end? Just that it was an absolute pleasure meeting you, being, you know, part of the community with you on LinkedIn, who's, you know, using our voices and our platforms to, you know, change what's really happening in society, what has happened in society historically, um, I do feel part of that community and um, it's just been a, bless- a blessing and a pleasure meeting you and, and a lot of the others that we've, we're all both connected to. So I appreciate you inviting me. Same here. Same here, Janelle. And so tell the audience, um, what is your website and what's the best way for them to reach you? So my website is at www.allthingswithanessequitable.ca. Um, and you can reach me there or you can reach me on LinkedIn I, uh, at Janelle Benjamin on LinkedIn and um, on Twitter as JB underscore equitable. Awesome. All right. So all your companies, let's get this. Uh, let's get your DEI on and popping. OK, <laughs> thanks so much, Janelle. Thank you, Ashanti. Have a great day. OK, you too. All right. I'm stopping recording.
Thank you so much for listening to Ed Up Explained. Could you do me a small favor? Just like this podcast, heart it, subscribe it wherever you get your podcasts. And let me know if you're not seeing Ed Up Explained on your preferred podcast platform, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Talk soon. Thank you. This is Ed Up Explained with Ashanti Martin.